Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Dirty Harry edition. Today we're talking Deadpool. <laughs> Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man who's got you in his sights, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. You forgot your fortune cookie. It says you're shit out of luck. <laughs> I think that would be the, uh, in, a, in a game of who said this, McGonagall or Callahan, I think that would be the ace up my sleeve. Yeah, exactly. You'd never guess Callahan, You'd would never you? think Callahan. <laughs> You'd go, you, you would say, oh, that's easy. That's McGonagall. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it, it's lines like that that uh, make me uh, like this movie perhaps more than More I than we should. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Because it is, we've talked about, it is the nadir of the series, but if you're going to have a nadir in your series, make it this one. <laughs> right. Because it's perfectly enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a movie that, uh, you know, on its surface just looks silly at times, you know? Boy, I mean... Uh, it looks like we we've we've said before that there are there are kind of naked gun tendencies yeah right to the franchise there are whole scenes in this that that, that are straight naked, out that feel straight out of yeah yeah even naked gun would say no too broad <laughs> too on the nose <laughs> but for a movie with as much silly shit in it i mean it's just funny that there like you said there's so much in it to enjoy well, I, I was, and thinking, I mean, those yeah. two things might be wrapped into each other, a little bit. But but at the same time, you know, you can you can stand back and say, yeah, that I mean, like like any dirty like any of the Dirty Harry movies, there's a few good character moments in here. Mm-hmm. There's some excellent uh, one-liners. Sure, know? I'll tell you something that that was a, a kind of revelation to me, and what always holds me back from from condemning the sillier parts of this movie is I really like the storyline to this movie. Yeah, like, right. I think it really works. And I even remember thinking that when I first saw the previews, I was like, oh, the Deadpool. Like, somebody's got a Deadpool. Like, somebody's got a list. But it's such a great idea for a serial killer movie. Right. And, you know, even though it's it's kind of mangled and mishandled and it doesn't fit the Dirty Harry formula, as Completely. you're watching it, you go... Oh, this is the basis of a really good serial killer movie, <laughs> right? Like, it, 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 I mean, it's just it, it's it's brilliant. A, you know, a list of people. You know, a serial killer is out there killing people who are who are on a list that is a pool of people who are going to die. I mean, and, and they're could, famous. You get greenlit on that idea right, right. alone. I do, I also like the idea that they're all well known. Yeah, because it, that it, makes it killing them all the more difficult. Right. <laughs> you have and to be it, able to and, get to them. You gotta. And it means, as as we find out in this movie, that you don't need to be connected to the person to be a suspect. Right. 
Because there's a point in this movie where you're, where you're like, well, what's the connection between these two people? And then you realize you don't have to have a connection because these right. guys are on TV, in the papers, uh, you know, in magazines all the time. That's how they know each other. Right. So it really works. I'm just really surprised that they, they, you know, they burnt this idea out on the last Dirty Harry movie in the series right. designed to put Clint Eastwood's Halle Callahan out to pasture. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Well, of course, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the Deadpool, the last in the Dirty Harry series. This is a 1988 film directed by Buddy Van Horn. Uh, You might not know him, but you may have seen Any Which Way You Can and Pink Cadillac. So so in the Dirty Harry series, you have both the director of Every Which Way But Lose and Any Any Which Way You Can. Yeah, that's fascinating. But this guy, well, his his bigger claim to fame is he's a major stunt coordinator. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's interesting. You know, it's funny. I think it's interesting that Clint Eastwood chooses to go back to having a director as opposed to doing it himself. Especially in a movie which seems to be all about Clint Eastwood. Right. In Hollywood as a director. Yeah, like, right. Like, there's exactly. so many references to uh to Clint well, this is a movie about movies. Let's let's yeah, put that out there. Exactly this is right. not a movie about uh police work. This is a movie about movies. Or the I would you know, media culture more generally, maybe. Mm-hmm. You could stretch that far. It's definitely not about the police. It's not about cops, right. No, yeah. no. no. <laughs> so it's fascinating that Clint Eastwood would step away from the director's chair just at the moment his movies are about uh, movie direction. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. Maybe he made a wise choice and he was like, you know, it's, you know, I don't. This want is going to be I the don't... silliest of the Dirty Harry movies. Or, Perhaps or even that, you know, it's like I'll I... remove myself from that much ownership. Right. Or as you know, if. If I'm making a movie that's this metatextual, maybe this will be right. taken as my statement on cinema, and uh-huh. I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, you know, I just want to—I just want to kind of write out the series, make it about me on screen. Yeah, which is interesting because, <laughs> because as far as I could tell, Buddy Van Horn seems to have taken the. The establishing shot that Clint Eastwood used for Sudden Impact wholesale. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it almost, you know, for the first minute of this movie, it doesn't really matter that Clint Eastwood's not directing it because we're using a shot that he directed. Yeah, I, I, ha- I, ha- I myself wrote a note that said, "How in his ear was Clint Eastwood?" Right. Or how... I have an idea, or was it I have an idea, or was it this is what we're going to do? Yes. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how I don't know how that works. He, I mean, he doesn't strike me as... No, yeah. I, he, he doesn't he, strike me as the kind of guy who breathes down other directors' necks. He's not a Stallone. Right. I mean, you know, he's worked with enough... Est- He's worked with enough directors who you imagine wouldn't take any shit from him, like uh, Sergio Leone or Don Siegel. Um, You think that I don't know, but I don't know. But he's but he's so wrapped up in these movies as a producer that Mm -hmm. he's clearly. I mean, you've you've spoke to numerous behind the scenes 
right um anecdotes about him intervening and saying this is what we're doing we're going to push this movie in this direction so clearly you know he's having a great deal of influence i don't think he's directing i don't think he's directing the movies for the directors though um and i think that really shows Mm -hmm. when you compare this to sudden impact right because these two directors make very different choices with the same material right right well, and I also find it. I mean, so we're 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 square in the in the the rule of diminishing returns here. Right. Uh, a budget of thirty one million, opening weekend of nine, mm-hmm. but still thirty seven point nine in the USA and the world. But when you compare it to the juggernaut of the movie that preceded it, yeah, obviously they thought it was coming to an end. And I also find it interesting, like as silly as this movie is. It still has fifty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a perfectly serviceable crappy movie. I mean, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's not, you know, I don't want to take pot shots at this. I mean, it, there are a few scenes where you have to take pot shots at it, but aside right. from that, you know, it's it's well, it's and I, very watchable shit. It's you know? very watchable shit, and I think this movie also benefits from having at least two other actors somewhere near one at the very beginning of his career and the other near the beginning of his career in Liam Neeson and Jim Carrey. And oh, so, God, yeah. Not to so, mention Patri- Patricia Clarkson. And yet uh, Patricia Clarkson yeah. as well. And so, you know, you have, you have all of that sort of wrapped up into uh, the deliciousness of the movie. Yes. Yes. You know, when when you're staring at terrible ponytails and listening to the British accent that I know you hate. And when you're watching a fisheye lens of Jim Carrey trying to perform (laughs) as a as a rock star. Yeah. You know, it just lends itself to to just another sort of level. Yeah. That you get to regard this, you know, take take this movie in with. And it's a very self-aware movie. So. You know, where, where, there, yeah. where there are moments where it becomes a parody of itself. There are other moments which are meant to comment on its, you know, comment on itself as a sequel, as, as a, you know, a, the, a later installment in a series. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of, we're floating between those. You get, you get both levels. You get the, you get the laughing at and the laughing with. Right. Uh, sometimes simultaneously. <laughs> Because um, it's not, a, I always say it's a dumb movie at all. It makes some dumb choices, but it's yeah, not, right. But it's it's relatively sophisticated for what it could be. But I also think dumb things happen in it. Yeah, I, yes, yes. But they the do. movie itself doesn't still doesn't. No, but I reveal think itself those, to be dumb. Like it's 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 kind of a. Th- all those dumb things are in the Dirty Harry part of the movie. Like, it's, right. it's, again, like, we talked about this with Sudden Impact. There's two films going on here in parallel. Uh-huh. And I think the Deadpool storyline is, well, you know, it, it pretty much it pretty much works the whole way through. The problem is this, that you know, the Dirty Harry movie that's running alongside it is just, is laughable. Yeah. And... And you've also got the problem that the two of them never cross over. <laughs> I mean, you talk about one of the stories in the other story, but that's not the same as crossing over, right? It's yeah. like 
unless your crimes are misdemeanors, it's like that's the only. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's like that's the only precedent I can think of where that style works. So that's very deliberate. Here it is, just we can never make these two ideas of the same movie connect up. Connect up, right? Well, here's here's an interesting factoid that I have for you for this movie. Excellent. That I think you're going to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie comes out in 1988. Uh-huh. Is this the to movie... do with President, the newly, newly no. inaugurated President Bush? No. Because that but, was on my mind. But, yeah. But this movie was announced in January, started filming in February, and was released in July. Oh. That's amazing. It is amazing. And I don't think it feels like that. I, that's not something I would guess from seeing the movie. Right. I don't feel like. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, yeah. I feel like you could. You can see that. You know. That's the airplane two kind of feeling. Right. Right. You know. But this is. Oh, interesting. That is so interesting. Isn't that interesting? Oh well. You know. Buddy Van Horn runs a tight ship. Clearly. Uh, he must. <laughs> he knows what he wants. Do you think I'm starting to suspect now that maybe he cranked out any which way you can, uh, like in the in <laughs> right. the week after they wrapped every which way, every but which loose. way but loose. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, even Eastwood himself is very famous as a director for giving the actors very few takes. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna shoot and move on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe that's something Buddy Van Horn took from him. Quite possibly. Yeah. Then again, there's only so many ways you can film a remote control toy car leading a car chase. Exactly. <laughs> not met. Does it, it kind of limits your artistic options a little bit? <laughs> that's an amazing scene. Talking it's, about it stupid. is one of the most. Yeah, we'll get there. One of the most remarkable scenes in modern cinema. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Well, no cold open. No, but we well, revert back. Uh, question mark. We have you what think? I would call a lukewarm open. <laughs> because there is a cold open. There's the titles. Then, then a scene right. in the middle. It's and then, like a, exactly, it's a cold open sandwich. We've got the titles, we've got a cold open, and we've got more titles. More titles. Now, have you ever seen this before in a movie? <laughs> I don't think I have. Right. I can't think of any other examples of this. But I feel like, didn't we say something similar to one of the other sequels? I mean, if we've seen it before or something close to it, it was one of the other sequels yeah. in this series. Yeah. Um, it's a very strange storytelling choice, as I say, with no other precedent <laughs> right. um, for doing it. Um, and also, I mean, I have to talk about this Harry being attacked. Like, well, I, I mean, I, I've got stuff like right from the beginning, so I'm just okay. Gonna, go ahead. Now that, now that you, you, you've skipped to the, you've skipped to the beginning of the movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I always start from before the beginning, especially with these movies. I, I, my first note is that, you know, in the times that all these movies have been released, including the original Dirty Harry, we've gone full circle on the Warner Brothers logo. It started oh, out yeah, with right. the badge. You're right. Went through the brutalist, modernist yeah. design, and now it's gone back to the badge. 
So <laughs> that gives you an idea about quite how long these movies have been running. Been around. Um, I've mentioned that this is basically the same opening as Sudden Impact, as if each film is in the, is now just an episode of of the Dirty Harry TV series, <laughs> right. right? That's what it. That's what it kind of feels like. And Lalo Schifrin's kind of taking on a little bit of metal guitar, <laughs> a little bit of drum machine. Um, I, I, I actually, I have to say that my my first note does say uh, these credits are very eighties. Yeah, and it's it's remarkable to me that that's you know Lalo Schifrin's really even in the five years that's passed, he's moving with you know he's moving with the music of the times because mm-hmm. there's like a metal element in it now. Um, and then, you know, this scene in the middle of this lukewarm open, <laughs> our, this apartment scene, just gives us far too many options about what this movie is about. <laughs> and I've got a list here of what I think this movie might be I was just going to ask, like, what's your it's list? It's either about a race driver, a talk show, horror movies, or mobsters. <laughs> um, That's amazing. And then I, we've got like we've got our first imbass, almost an inversion of the opening of Sudden Impact. On TV, it's reported that a criminal has been prosecuted, and Harry is credited with the arrest. <laughs> like the opposite of how Sudden Impact and most of these movies begin. Be uh, operate, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then yes, then I've then I've caught up with you at the beginning of the movie. Harry being uh. am- ambushed by machine gun toting mobsters. We're very much picking up the story where we left off. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, we've got a car flip. We've got a guy who decides to look into the window, but not really with his gun. Yeah. Naturally, he gets his head shot through. And then my the, the most remarkable thing, to, like my note is... But like Harry Ca- Harry Callahan shoots an unarmed man running away. <laughs> Is there anything more dirty Harry than that? No, no. I've also like I didn't want to knowing that this was the a different director and how much I love Eastwood. I didn't want to prejudge Buddy Van Horn, but minutes into the movie, two separate instances of slow motion. Yeah, right. It's not looking yes. good. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Not your favorite. No. And I think I think we commented in like an earlier movie. I think it was... Sud- uh, no, <laughs> hang on. Let me try to think of the names of the movies to start with. Magna, I think it was in Magnum Got Force. Magnum Force, The Enforcer. Well, Harry has a really uh, inconspicuous entrance. Like, you know, you, all, you almost don't notice he comes on screen. Here you when notice. he walks in on the scene? Yeah. Here you notice. Oh, here you're... Yeah. Like... <laughs> Here it, ends, it the scene is. scene ends with four body bags. Right. That's how he's being reintroduced in this one, which is not only, you know, is not only, like you say, quintessential Dirty Harry, it's also quintessential Clint Eastwood. Yes. You know, a scene ends with four corpses. <laughs> a la, you know, a la Fistful of Dollars. Um, and then we have our first note of continuity. That's what I was just going to say. The return of Captain Donnelly. Right. And this counts as continuity in a series that has really made a meal of this idea of legacy characters and actors. The like, fact that we're getting him back is a big deal. Because because so many times you think you're getting a character back and you're not. You're just getting the actor back in a different role. But this is this is as far as I can tell, this is still Captain Donnelly. Played by that, the same actor right. in the same role. 
He is known as Captain Donnelly. Right, there we go. And something, something strange. But we're talking about three wrecked patrol cars and, (laughs) you know, we got, I can love it so much. But something has definitely changed in the last five years because the press are praising Harry. He's getting a commendation. He's part of the police establishment now. Mm -hmm. We've never seen this before. Um, And they want him to work with the press. Right. Uh, Like that. Yeah. Like he's, he's the poster boy of the police. Um, and I can only imagine that, you know, this is, this is a, like, sort of a comment on, you know, the end of the Reagan era, the beginning of the Bush era, what, what Dirty Harry represents is now mainstream thinking, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and, and is going to be for at least the next four years, people would have suspected eight at the time. Yes, right, no one right. saw Clinton coming. Um... I, I mean, partly that, and also, you know, the idea of Clint Eastwood as a part of the Hollywood establishment as well. Right. Maybe. Like, when you see him on the cover of the magazine. You, you're That's sort of interesting. Now, now dealing with the celebrity version of of uh, Daddy Harry, which is, you know, the same, <laughs> visually the same as Clint Eastwood. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh. But some things don't change, like having a partner who is part of a minority. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's standing around talking about how he's either going to get brutally injured or die. Yeah. I mean, that's a given at this point. It is, yeah. And they, 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 there's a callback to the enforcer here because they talk about the press strategy of partnering um, partnering Harry yeah, with right. a minority again. So it goes back to Tyne Daly and uh, Tyne Daly. Mm-hmm. So Al Kwan is Harry's new partner. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think he's a lot of fun in this movie. He is. Yes, I think. I think they maybe could have had. You know, I'm glad that you know San Francisco. Yeah, I've lived. You know, I I've visited and lived there. Mm-hmm. It has a huge Asian community. You know. Yeah. Uh, not just, but including. A huge Chinese community. So right. I'm glad that they're represented here. Probably better ways to handle it than they did. Yes. Through the prism of martial arts. And martial arts only. Triads and fireworks. <laughs> but. Uh, Tattoos. It's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. I don't know how many steps forward versus steps back. But. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. Let's, Noted. Let's, let's just call it, you know, let's just call it quits. Let's just say <laughs> right. they're doing the right thing. Probably We're... not in the right way. Right, and we'll quit while we're ahead. <laughs> um, and it's about here we get to Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey. Yeah. Or James Carrey. Yes, right. I've blown one of my credit check items there. but um... So one of my notes is that Jim Carrey in this movie can manage to... It's like you see the funny man. Yes. Being as funny as he's ever been while he's taking on a serious role. Right, which is which you associate with the later Jim Carrey of the Eternal Sunshine era. Yeah. Or the Truman Show. Uh, or Man on the Moon. I mean, it, yeah. But it's, it's like you can see the veneer of the shtick underneath everything he does. It's remarkable how fully formed. Yes. Jim Carrey comes into the world of cinema, right? Yeah. I mean, he is, this is like. It's a star-making turn, it really is, and I believe that even Eastwood clocked it on set. Yeah, right. You know, did you hear that 
I did. Story? Yeah. So in up to screen time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Buddy Van Horn had a cigarette, or I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm do some to rewrites tonight. Go outside and have a cigarette, buddy. <laughs> um, but this, I mean, it's a, it's a, also a very confusing sequence. It is because because at some point you you get the sense that they're filming a music video. But it's not. <laughs> or a musical scene in a horror film. Right. And it is both and neither. Right, exactly. <laughs> but there is, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting, like, this stuff re- like really happened in, in horror movies, right? There was the, there was Alice Cooper doing the, uh, doing like a music video tie-in to uh, one of the Friday the 13th movies. There's that Swedish band who did the Nightmare songs. Right. There's Freddy's, you know, the Will Smith Freddy rap. So mm-hmm. it's, be- I mean, I think, I actually think all of the, what's kind of interesting about this is like every the representation of the media, movies in particular here, is all based on if shit not, that actually happened. If not, if not real or events. Was, or, then, or was around the era. You yeah. Know? Like if not real, real events, then equivalent uh, events and or kind of movie law. Yeah. Um, so this that that's fa- that part of it is fascinating. Um also, you know, I made a big deal about how this series is kind of like processing new tropes in horror cinema. Mm-hmm. And here we, we're making a horror movie. Yeah. So that's a pretty definitive statement on on the relationship between the series and horror. And horror uh the movie Hotel Satan. Um, and that, you know, it, it's interesting that that sequence kind of, well, not quite, not quite that whole sequence, but after James Carey is, you know, overdoses, right? uh, we see there's there's a great shot of Harry watching the movie being shot. And I was like, this is, this could be Clint Eastwood's director headshot, (laughs) you know, but clearly the movie's making reference to the fact that Clint Eastwood's a film director. Yeah. Um, and you know Liam Neeson as the horror movie director in this scene is throwing around a lot of you know s- cinematic jargon like homage and uh, you know it's like a metatextual treatise on well I, movie direction know. and also convergence. They're talking about how music videos and horror movies are kind of interdependent in the current economy. It's like it's yes. not it's it's not like this is what I mean. It's like not dumb shit. It's not dumb shit. What and I also talking about is, is both real and interesting. Well, and I also drew a comparison because 88, we're right in the wheelhouse of a very popular television series called Hunter mm. with Fred Dreyer. Mm-hmm. And Fred Dreyer was like the television version of Harry Callahan. Right. And if we go back to Mike's memories and think of the very first episode of Hunter... It was kind of like this. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a list, but it was like a serial killer. He was a, a, a motor, on a motorcycle. Uh, you know, the veneer of it was like, we're not seeing him. Like, we're not seeing this killer for yeah. so long. And, I mean, I was just having like a flood of memories of yeah. how much this movie was like that. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me so much of that. 
Yeah, this this movie this movie feels like it's got its finger on the button of what's going on in media of the time, both referentially and self-reflexively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there are numerous instances in this movie where I think it's it's sort of ahead of the game as well, <laughs> which is just kind of like to what you know strange to what our media would become. Uh, which you know you don't normally get those depths in a movie that is decidedly average. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, it's and yet it's still, it all makes it's still for not enough one... to change my mind that this is oh, yeah. a good movie or me either. But or it makes not... for one interesting bird of a movie. I got to tell you, it is. It is. Well, we're, I think we're off to a good start. Why don't we take a break and we'll come back? Definitely. After a, a little platypus of a movie. Yeah, after one quality message. Right after this, everyone. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day, you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing... As we said, this platypus of a movie, The Deadpool, <laughs> from 1988, directed by one Buddy Van Horn. I'll revise that. This is this movie is like two Doug platypuses. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> running alongside each other at more it's or a less race. the same speed. <laughs> Chasing a toy car. <laughs> Well, if 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 anything, this movie has everything. <laughs> <laughs> you could put that on the poster. Right? I don't think it's what <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if what you meant is what that means, but <laughs> I'd be happy to put that as the tagline for my it movie. It really if does. Anything, this movie has everything. <laughs> I'm kind of in the uh what's the name of the Bill Hader character, the the, the club promoter on SNL. Oh, Stefan. Stefan, yeah. Stefan. Yeah. This this movie has everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then a list of things that you don't that want. That you don't want to see, hear, or do. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's So, you know, as we said, we're... Dan Cortez. We're, what's that? 
Dan Cortez. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was a recurring recurring feature in that list. Sorry, Carrie. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my god. A work of genius. <laughs> my favorite part was that uh, Mulaney, who would write with him for that character, would always try to put something in that he didn't know about just to make yeah. him laugh. Uh, That's why he had his hands over his mouth the entire time because he was. Well, and to be honest, that I think that was up. more reflexive because of his nervousness, and so because he was a, yeah. he's a, a very angsty performer. Yeah. Uh, and so he was he, that he's. I remember him saying that's how it started with Stefan was just bringing his hands to his face because he was always so nervous and it just worked. Yes. But we move on. <laughs> we we yeah. move on to more Dirty Harry and the Deadpool. You know, like I said earlier, though, I mean, we have Liam Neeson, uh, who's yeah. who's basically supposed to be like the scapegoat. But do you ever mm-hmm. truly believe no. that he's? <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, I know. <laughs> Sorry, I should have waited for you to ask the question, yeah. but but I already know the answer. <laughs> no, I I mean, I don't know. Maybe, and I don't mean this to be to be insulting or condescending or racist. I think I think it is, but um, <laughs> I think it will turn out to be. But you know, may, maybe I don't know. Well, I'll ask you. You're an American. Mm-hmm. Could you not tell that one of these? one of the two actors doing British accent was really British and the guy who supposedly has the real British accent has the worst of the two accents. Right. <laughs> so the, the but but however it comes out, there's no way you'd think that these two people are the same people. They have different voices. Yeah. Not to mention dialects or or two different takes on the same dialect, so they're clearly two different two people. Different... Also, the movie would be over about a quarter of the way through yes. if it was this guy. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I mean I'm never, um, I'm never fooled by it, and I feel like this is one area where you could you you know, you could spread the wealth a little bit, as you know, if you were doing like a real whodunit, which is what this movie cries out to be, mm-hmm. you could have. You could Agatha Christie it and have five or six different suspects, but we never get to that right. point. It's just it's just two different guys with ponytails. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of whom wants to be the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> Side note for filmmakers, ponytails, not that menacing. No. They don't instill maybe fear. Maybe they were in 88, though. I don't know. Maybe they were thinking... Or maybe they are to the... <laughs> To the viewers of this series. Maybe they were I mean, trying to Seagal it. Well, I think if I don't know this, this is this is a traditionally anti hippie series, so maybe right, it's actually a must that the killer should have long hair. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, and you know, in addition, you know, I think you referenced before we went on break. We find Jim Carrey dead. We have cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Well, it wouldn't be a 1980s movie without somebody having some sort of latent uh, fear of homosexuality when they call a murder a homicide. Mm. Yes. Indeed. And then we have Callahan attacking a cameraman's camera. <laughs> right. And this is an important, I think this is an important sort of turn in the movie. This is, again, where things are different now. Because, but he's um, supposed to be the champion of the press now, and, and then he right. But but the, so 
my thing i don't know what you think about this but but upon watching this movie i think the police as an institution now are off the hook mm-hmm. it's now the because press of the end. because of the era we're in i think yeah. so i think that's got a lot to do with it and maybe it's also you know just a little bit of an inversion because we've in every dirty harry movie so far including the original there's a, there's a kind of there's an individual villain and then there's an institutional yeah. villain and the institutional villain has always been the police uh, up to this point. And in, only in this movie is it the press. The individual villain changes from movie sure. to movie. You know, it, or it kind of like, it ping-pongs back and forth between radicals and... Well, in Magnum uh, Force, it's kind of, in Magnum Force, it's kind of both. It's one and the yeah. same, yeah, which is what's gr- which is why that movie is, is brilliant. Yeah. What a brilliant idea. Um but in this movie, you know, we've we've changed the terms of, of that again. And it's now the institutional enemy is the press or the media at large. And the individual enemy is a, a kind of a, um, a writer of fan fiction. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about you, but this was a, this was a big I, you know, for 1988, this was a big surprise to me to see this kind of character as the serial killer in the movie, because I think, I think of Annie Wilkes as the first articulation of the, of the fan serial killer. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize it went back even further with that. And this one is, is, I mean, there's an extent to which you can say Annie Wilkes, you know, there's a scene where she, she comes up and says, here's how you bring misery back from the grave. So she's, she's sort of a fan fiction writer in some senses, but it's very much James Kahn is, writing the book under duress yeah of course but here you've got a but here this is a fan who has his own script that he wants to get made that he claims is is you know he claims is the work of liam neeson's character yeah right because he is inspired by him therefore it is his work therefore he should make his work and i gotta tell you this is exactly what's wrong with fandom today (laughs) there are people out there who think they they have the you know they own the intellectual property of the things they like to watch and listen to right and that is what this guy is all yeah. about and in a way it's i don't know is it more sophisticated than Annie Wilkes it kind of <laughs> is because at least looked at through a 2022 lens you know in the wake of ongoing toxic fandom in communities like Star Wars right and Star Trek well and, and it's interesting because when you take Annie Wilkes, and it, like if if we if we put out this this hypothesis that, or a theory uh, about this character, yeah, and is this a high a higher you know uh, branch off of the Annie Wilkes? Because yeah. on the other side of it, I, I'm just remembering this era. Because on the other side of it, mm. say in 1992, you have the Bodyguard. It's another yeah. fans kind of killer. Absolutely, yeah. But just just a fan. <laughs> like Yeah. No creation within that. Uh, yeah, and yes. You know what I mean? So it's like true. a denouement. It's like it's like it's like it reaches a climax well, and comes down. I mean I in cinema itself. Yeah. He's not I mean he's not a killer, but you know, I'd go all the way back to Rupert Pupkin. No. Oh. In King of Comedy. Yeah. It's because funny you he, say that because I was is... just talking about that movie with Matt for the 1982 project. Oh, 
I, I wish I wish we could talk I wish we could talk about that movie. This, I mean, you talk about hitting modern media on the yeah. nail on the head <laughs> forty years before it became relevant. Right. Um but yeah, I mean he's a fan creator, you know, a fan producer, I think is the academic term, and it's like Jesus Christ, this is a little too close, a little too close to home. Right. It's, uh, it's my, I'm starting you know, to get a little sweat on the brow. I know. I'm re, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm looking at you know Facebook posts about Moses Ingram, and I'm reading you know my notes back for the Deadpool. I'm like Jesus Christ, <laughs> they had it. They knew. They knew in '88 that this was going to happen. <laughs> I mean that's another tick in the in the column of of righteousness for this movie, isn't it? It really it makes it, it really interesting. Is. And it's sort of like at that at this point where you're sort of this you're deep down the rabbit hole of 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 what this movie is doing that is really good and interesting. You're like, what's it gonna take for this <laughs> movie to to fall short of being a good movie? And of course, the answer is remote controlled toy yes, car. Yes, of course. And Harry's half. And, and well, I was gonna say, I, I was gonna say <laughs> well, we'll, we might have we'll to save there, it for I'm the just, end, but yeah, I'm just gonna say this is not us talking ourselves into saying this is a good movie. We're saying you have to do something monumentally ridiculous, terrible yeah, <laughs> twice over to not make this a good movie, and they did. and they did it. <laughs> and they're also, I think, somewhere actually in the narrative that right around where we're talking about right now, um. Was it Harry? Was he working in a weight room? I just remember that there's a scene right around this time where somebody's working out yeah. in a weight room. And if you look yes. if you look behind where all the actors are... They're filming Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Basically, because none of them are using any weights. <laughs> like... Well, that explains... Well, you know I, the well, machines again. where you can click down on the weights, you know, that kind yeah, of thing? Yeah. They're all on the top, and they're all just sort of working really hard with, like, 10 pounds. Like, nobody's right, actually right. using any of the weights. It's hysterical uh -huh. to watch. It is. Well, I mean, you know, they've got to get it in the can by July, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> with no time for actual weights. I don't want you losing any of you. I don't want you losing yeah. any of your strength on these shots. You understand? That I think it's a bit later on, but there's also a scene that asks us to believe that um, Harry will Harry's strength outdoes that of a martial arts expert half his age. Yeah. Like we have a scene where they're jogging, and Alquan just can't keep up with this this geriatric ger man. Exactly, this extremely old person. <laughs> After we've we've shown that this guy is, you know, a superb physical athlete. Right. <laughs> um. It's uh, around about this time that. Patricia Clarkson and Clint Eastwood have they dinner. have dinner after after uh, the they foil the Chinatown crime right, and this is a sort of this is like in the second half of the series. Well, basically since the Enforcer, Harry's Harry has to have a love interest. Well, I guess it's in Magnum Force too, have a love interest, but mm -hmm. like a serious relationship love interest. Uh, is you know he's had one in every movie since the Enforcer, if you count. I was going to say, what, it's, you know... What they were going to do before she was machine gunned to death. Right. <laughs> uh, on Alcatraz. So this is kind of like... This is not When like you a... say it so starkly like that, it makes me... It, I think it was designed just to make me change my mind. 
<laughs> I, no, not at all. You've made your choices. You've, you've made your bed. Um, <laughs> but it, that's like something, it's not like a convention of the series, but it's sort of come to be that mm-hmm. by the time we get to this point. Interesting. Um, and I like, I, it's, it's the heart, again, it's like, feels like the heart of the movie. They're both great. They're both great with each other. Like it's right. You know, there's some nice again. There's some nice physical interplay. Clarkson's tiny, Clint Eastwood's huge. Uh, it makes for like nice character moments. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that I think this is the most beautiful you will ever see. Patricia. I was gonna say like she is absolutely. St- I, I actually don't remember her being this stunning in the Untouchables. So maybe it is just. Oh, I do. She just she just came out of the, yeah. I don't know. I guess like she just walked out the door. It's like this is hot as I'm ever gonna be, everyone. <laughs> yeah, but I'm gonna be that hot forever. Like you know. Well, I know she's still beautiful and beautiful for many years. But something I don't know. There's something about her in this movie that I just I I find so intoxicating. Because there's there's this movie, but I do remember her from The Untouchables as well. And I I specifically remember her like every time she's on screen, she's just glowing. Yeah. Um. And again, we get more like we get more sort of metatextual stuff. She says you can't kill the messenger because of the message. Paraphrasing Marshall McLuhan on television. Mm-hmm. God, this this movie's <laughs> more interesting than <laughs> than you might think for a 1988 Dirty Harry movie. Yeah, especially, and I I have to bring this up. This is such a stupid thing, but I have to bring this up. Um. He must have grown his hair out between filming the poster, of shooting the poster for this movie, unless it's just a general headshot that he used, mm-hmm. and making the movie. Because I was prepared for his hair to be super short. And he still got a little bit of the, the main. dirty Harry Buffon <laughs> here. <laughs> And something about something about when you see all those posters together, like on HBO Max, when you see it go, and by the last one, he's not got any hair. Mm-hmm. Basically, you just it kind of depresses. And then you see the movie; it's like, oh no, he's got hair. Yeah. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me so like. But when I, you see that poster, you, your heart sinks. It's like, oh my god, yeah. I'm gonna have. But you know, it's it's actually that is not the problem with this movie at all. No, no, in no, yeah. Shape. The movie Eastland has plenty of other problems, but his hair his hair is not one of them. No, his hair's not one of them. Um We have again like an example of how these movies are sort of developing in parallel. Uh he thinks he's gonna get he's gonna get attacked by the mob, but they turn out to be autograph hunters. Right. And then they flip it, so he actually does get attacked yeah. by the mob <laughs> a minute about a minute later. <laughs> So it's like, this would have been a good opportunity, guys, to merge those two movies together. together. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes to San Quentin, and this is the scene I'm talking about, where, you know, he's talking to someone, Gennaro. Gennaro, I, 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 yeah, my note is he visits Gennaro. Um, Lone lone black child on the car, I noticed that outside the gates of San Mm -hmm. Quentin. Uh, <laughs> a not insignificant image in the um, early George Bush, George H. Bush era, um, and it's like it's like he talks about the other movie. It's like you still haven't put these two movies right, together. Exactly. They're still separate movies. <laughs> 
and after this, we get the the film critic being killed. And didn't you have a story? About so this? this is what I was gonna bring up because, the, all right, this, I mean, this is where because critics are mentioned in the last movie. Critics are mentioned in the last movie. A critic is murdered in this movie. Correct. Yeah, it's up the ante. Like all yes, sequels. like all sequels, the ante is up. But but this is like basically an inside joke. Clearly. You know Pauline Kale. I certainly do. All right. Now, as I understand it, Clint Eastwood earlier in his career, and maybe with the early uh, Dirty Harry films, mm-hmm. had some point, at some point, I think, complained to the New York Times that Pauline Kale was like giving him bad reviews because she was secretly in love with him and. Didn't she write for the New Yorker, or or maybe that's right, New Yorker. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, and he <laughs> and and he was not uh, willing to go down that avenue with her, and so she's giving him shitty reviews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which they, well, you know, it's not her. I don't think it's her kind of movie, to be perfectly honest. But Karen, yeah, yeah, she would have given them anyway. I think. But I just thought it was hysterical that like years later. Basically, the reviewer in this movie is supposed to be Pauline Kale, and they just wanted yeah. to murder her because they wanted her gone and dead. Yeah, you can see it coming. You, you, you. I mean, you know, again, it's like a, sh- it's a shift in the, this movie towards the metatextual because in previous movies we kind of act out conservative fantasies, right? Yeah, of law enforcement. This is acting out a, di- a film director's mm-hmm. wish, you know wish fulfillment isn't it it's it's like to murder, truly murder remarkable talking yeah. about murdering a film critic yeah. this is the part of eastwood that's a film director not a republican exactly Ah, <laughs> uh, just kills me and and you know this like again this what really sh- shocked me is the is how like studied and detailed the the their representation of the film industry is here we're using actual clips from horror films that includes david warner (laughs) i don't know what the film is they've got but they've obviously got david warner's approval to be in the movie i mean i hope they paid him because he was hard up for a while after one of his divorces oh is that right yeah. Well, no. I mean, he tells the story like they. Some some interviewer asked him, you know, where's the head from the omen, mm-hmm. and he said, "I lost it in the divorce." Oh my god, <laughs> that seems rather petty, and I want that head. <laughs> oh come on! If you were married to David Warner, that's the first thing you'd ask for. <laughs> um. Okay, so we've we've got the the guy the guys. Next thing I've got is guy setting himself on fire. Yeah, I said Mr. Wheeler. Mr. Wheeler tries to set himself on fire. Um, and this is again like Harry posing as a cameraman. Each movie has to have Harry playing some kind of role. Right. You know what I mean? Like he's in an improv class. It's 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 like his airplane pilot. It's his airplane pilot and. What did he do in the Enforcer? He pretended to be like a a, a brothel. Yes, visitor. right. He went undercover. He was uh, a John. Does he do it in Sudden Impact? Does he go undercover there? I don't remember. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But I just yeah. know that I mean Harry Callahan 
and you know, stay tuned. I assume for both of our pitches, but <laughs> but Harry Callahan can't walk five feet in this city without stumbling upon a crime. And some of my notes are. Why are all these armed criminals, oh, they always have no plan as they're robbing banks, restaurants, and delis. And then, yeah. we, and then he, you know, of course, he walks five more steps and happens upon a man who wants to light himself on fire. But that's more because Patricia Clarkson's there. Right. And that's what I found interesting about this scene is, like, he feels like a lame duck at this point. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't really, if you, if you, if you break that scene down... What does he really do that changes anything in that scene? Harry, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Patricia Clarkson is the one who like talks the guy down and he does it anyway. Yeah. Um You know, he's going undercover but he's not saving the day. He's making saying a lot he's making a lot of, you know, he's made some good one-liners out of yeah. it, but he's not actually done anything concrete <laughs> in this scene. And this is, you know, that uh, obviously he is getting up there it. in age. Yeah, obviously this is part of it being there being two different movies going on mm-hmm. here, but it's also a sense of like, you know, as I said before, we're putting Harry out. To I'm trying bit. to remember, was the killer in the crowd kind of watching this, or no? I don't have a note for that. It's possible. Okay, I don't remember. Yeah, no, I think he might. I think he might have been. Um. We finally circle back to the talk show host that we saw in the lukewarm open. Yeah. Over halfway into the movie, <laughs> I might add. And uh, this is the this is the kind of and this is you know it's a very self-referential screenplay. We're getting some franchise fatigue here because Al Quan keeps making a bunch of jokes and Harry keeps anticipating the punchlines. <laughs> like, well, come on, guys! I mean. <laughs> There's no more life here. <laughs> I think we've said it before. When characters complete each other's phrases in in scripts, it's a sure sign that we're we're getting bored with the series. Yeah, and I, I, that's that's exactly well, and I, I you know, here. well, I'll save it because I don't think we're there yet. But because we still have the the remote control car. Well, this is no. I think uh, this is where it starts. Yeah. This is the. Uh, the first time we see the tiny toy car with a remote control bomb. Yeah. And uh, there, there is, I hate to say this, but there's nothing inaccurate about that statement. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a typo. Right. <laughs> I did not misspeak. <laughs> it's exactly what happens. It reminds me of what you said about Batman and Robin. Like, we've gone so far right. from the original footprint yeah <laughs> <laughs> blueprint sorry not foot like we've gone so far from the original blueprint and if you think about you know this you go, go from like the this the, i don't know any scene in dirty harry let's say the do you feel lucky punk scene to this yeah right <laughs> you wouldn't believe it was the same yes. series i mean it's even it includes uh you know kids using their remote-controlled shit of the same frequency, which frustrates the killing ability of our serial killer. Oh, man, it is... It frustrates him enough that he has to, like, pick up the car and, like, take and follow him in a real car. Yeah. And then he's too excited when he finally gets close enough to use the remote-controlled car that it goes in front of Harry's car. Well... 
I mean, the first And then Harry remembers detect- seeing that little wheel, Tom. His his detective fucking brain is working. <laughs> this is the this is yeah. And again, a far cry from, you know, like lose like purposefully losing a tournament so he can get access exactly. to ballistic evidence. <laughs> Even had the line, I don't know, it's the wheel from a toy or something. Because <laughs> uh, first of all, it's used to bomb an old man in tiny shorts. Yes, right. <laughs> Just not helping with the grit, with, you know, the grittiness. The gritty realism. And then, you know, and you sort of think, at the time you think, that's the last we're going to see of that remote control car. Nope. Surely. <laughs> but no, it's just the beginning. <laughs> Because we have a, a car chase that's led by a toy. <laughs> I really, I really do think one when we when we're re we're reviewing history and the terms that we've come up with to describe certain aspects of media culture, like for instance, jump the shark, yeah, or right. nuke the fridge. There's got to be space for right remote control toy car. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is, I mean, it's, you know, I have notes, this is the nadir of the series, you can't take it seriously from this point onwards. I also, what, it's not even well, it's not even well done! (laughs) I don't know what that would look like, it's not this. That's what I was just going to say, I was going to say, how do you do it well, Tom? Well, I have some, but I I even have notes on this scene. (laughs) Of how to do it better? Well, first of all, I was like, why is everybody reacting in fear to this toy car? Right. Like, at most, like, no one knows the context. Yeah. So anyone who sees it on the street would either be, one, mildly annoyed, or two, like, happy. Yeah, like, hey, marveling. I saw, this, I saw this remote control car whizzing down the Chasing street. Chasing another car. It, yeah, on my way to work. It really brightened up my day. <laughs> or you'd be like, no, it's getting under my feet. You don't know it's got fucking, it's a bomb. <laughs> but the worst, oh, well, the worst part of this sequence, for me at least, is when they decide that this is the moment to do their bullet homage. <laughs> Right, because they do that. You know, they do the jumping over the yes. the um the hill. The, right, the hill roads of of San, San Francisco, Francisco that sure. we saw that we saw, in, and it know, goes on for a long time. I mean, there's just no way to class up this concept. No. <laughs> you know, yes. this scene needs to cut its losses, <laughs> arguably before it began, <laughs> but but certainly after a couple of minutes. You know, this is not a car. I mean, this is a yeah. It's like it's like this is our full. This is our car chase. Our uh, car chase set piece for the movie. Mm-hmm. And compare it to every other equivalent set piece in the previous movies. It <laughs> pales by comparison, here. of course. Yeah. Not to mention that it I ends with just gonna say. God, God, yeah. go well, just say I mean, you know, the, the like again, we're bringing in Harry's detective brain, so he he. He backs himself into an alley. He's got nowhere to go, which is a, a, a sad way for like a four hour car chase with a toy car to end. And then the car, the toy car goes underneath the car and he just reverses it so that yeah. he can back up, what, five, six feet before it explodes so that it just explodes the engine in front and not him and his partner in the car seats. 
Well, that's what the that's, movie tells you. That's happens. what counts as brilliance on his d- detective brain part, you know? I mean, you know, that explosion would instantly kill whoever was ever in the Anywhere. Car. Yeah, anyone near. Yeah. Harry survives because it's a Dirty Harry movie and no other right. reason. <laughs> and Alquan is injured. Because, because they, he's his partner. They, because he's his partner and the only other option is killing yeah. him. Um, well, enough said. Maybe, well, maybe we should take a break <laughs> and let ourselves take a breather and come back. How about yeah. that? Every, the, the only the the only other car chase it reminds me of in the history of cinema is in the Takeshi Kitano film Sonatine, where they have a car chase in the middle of it that is purposely choreographed to be the worst possible car chase <laughs> you can think of. So you have stuff like. The windscreen wipers start going off randomly and stuff like that. That's what this is like. But they're going for exactly the opposite. They think this. Oh, is Oh, I cool. haven't seen that. I got to see that. Oh, it's fantastic. It's like if you if you imagine a car chase where it's just nothing but people reverse, like reversing and doing U turns, and just like I've gone down an alleyway, I've got to get myself back with a slowly edge out of. Oh, that's amazing. Of the, of the alleyway <laughs> and windscreen wipers keep going. It's fantastic. All right. But that was on purpose. This, this is not. Place. Yeah. That's <laughs> so good. It's, it's, like, it's one of those anomalies that you you want to shake your fist at, but you also kind of think but, it's sweet and endearing and how stupid it is. It, it's definitely sweet. <laughs> it's definitely sweet and endearing. <laughs> but also, you know, you, you, you just can't, you can't, and also you can't believe right. it's happening yeah. for as long as it's happening. <laughs> it's amazing. All right, everyone, we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back right after this. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. We're back once again, everyone. Tom and I are here wrapping up the Deadpool. The 1988 film that we just finished with the delicious toy car chase. <laughs> we did. Which is somehow not the low point of the right? movie. <laughs> that is yet to come. <laughs> I, I've got another note here about his the scene with the... And maybe this speaks to, you know, rushing through the filming a little bit. But the scene where he talks to uh, the police psychiatrist... Mm. I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Like, right. I, right. In a pre- in previous films, that would have been fodder for, like, satire, it would have been more, yeah, liberalism. They right? they would have like, been they would have made more out of it. 
But Harry seems to listen to what this guy has to say and take it seriously. <laughs> right? It's like, this movie's getting soft on the justice system. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Never mind the justice system itself. That's uh, funny. Yeah. Well, and so then you think, have, because you know, right now we're also in the point, uh, you know, I seem to recall, <laughs> right now the the movie's going to tell the audience what the audience already knew 10 minutes into the movie about <laughs> Liam Neeson, that he's not a suspect. Right. And exactly. he's going to give an interview saying on TV that he's not a suspect, that the actual killer is yeah. going to be watching and then the killer's going to attack his own apartment. To play devil's advocate, yes, is it possible that this movie thought you would suspect Liam Neeson's character more because he, because you know, of what? Because he's British. Conservatives, that well, definitely <laughs> that. But because what you know, that's what conservative thinks about the people who make those kind of movies that they're essentially amoral. Oh, because this is the era of the video nasty. Yeah, right. You know, all that kind of discourse around promoting violence and and what it does movies. to our children yeah i wonder whether that's the smoke screen that there are a lot which you know we most of us won't someone even please to, think about the children right but most you know most of us even on the you know on the right have talked ourselves out of yeah issue so the, no i mean it's making like, a comeback it's like we're still talking okay. about that right now in okay. this moment at least on the right mm-hmm. okay yeah so maybe that's the you know given given what we know about Eastwood and his politics maybe that is perhaps part of the smokescreen perhaps but um, but like I said uh, but uh, the audience know, on the plot knows level, no you would never <laughs> <laughs> and it just True, it just yeah. makes me laugh that I guess because the movie is telling us that the killer is sure that he's setting up Liam Neeson well. <laughs> so well that he's super pissed when he finds out that that's not the case and he, you know, just destroys his entire apartment. Devil's Advocate 2. Go. Is that a comment on fan fiction? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you never know with this movie. That's right. Is, is it the same Im- impulse that is like, this is as good as the kind of movie you make <laughs> because it's inspired by right. you. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that's uh, good shit. But you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It is. It is. You know. <laughs> just... Again, in in a, we we were talking just off air. We were talking about this. Like I can see, you can. I don't know what the background of this script is, but it very much feels like a, a you know like a script that called the Deadpool that was floating around Hollywood, yeah. couldn't raise money. Everyone knew it was a good idea, but no one was willing to put up money for it. And Clint Eastwood became right, and then we the said Clint's it. interested, <laughs> but it was a it was, had to be a Dirty Harry right. movie. And at that point, that that makes it difficult for you to do the kind of plot turns you need to do in a movie like this, mm-hmm. uh, because you you have to devote so much screen time to what we're doing with the Harry character and persona in this movie right um which is not something you have to worry about if this was just the deadpool you know it was just these characters and the story true so i don't know if that's how it turned out um but uh it's such a great idea for a 
for a, it's such a great idea for a whole movie, <laughs> not just half a movie. Yes. And I think that's the problem. I'm, ju- I'm just looking at my notes again, <laughs> going back to that remote car chase. My note was, this is extra dumb with sugar on top. Yeah. <laughs> Love yeah. it. I mean, it's it, you know, and again, you can see like the this who the 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 screenwriter, you know, in the reading that redraft, yeah, you know, exactly. that version of it. It's like, so uh, what's going on? Can I can I just ask you? I got I got I got a question or two. Well, my kid has one of those. He loves it. We've got to get this in the can by July. And I remember remote controlled like little planes and stuff being a thing, but earlier in the eighties, like the beginning of the eighties. Well, I'm gonna say the first thing that comes to my mind is like a, you know it's like a kind of seco thing, right? Where you're just like, <laughs> this is it's technology that's there for its for own. It, yeah, right. Yeah, for for its own sake. There's no, it's not got nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And I think there's a there's an aspect of that. So you just again you get that you can almost read in you could almost like imagine what is going on with someone. There's just a you know there's like a um, the, the the pyrotechnic guy just really likes the idea of having a remote control car and it goes from there. Right. <laughs> you know it's funny because you know I'm I, I'm really starting to like ponder on this idea of of where Clint is in his political life now cuz one of like a note I have right here that says uh the movies did it to me your honor and that was such a common refrain then and that yeah. seems to be what's going on with this particular killer you yeah. know it's really hard yeah, to separate I'm... Clint from his like some of the work we see in his films from his political aspirations and and who he is but in this, as a in this movie but because because of the way that the the fan killer is depicted i think it, it's more it is blaming hollywood but it's about the sort of the sort of bitterness of of trying you know of trying to get your break in hollywood that drives into it it's not screen violence that right. does it that's just a smokescreen. That's interesting. Um, and, you know, one of the things you can always say in defense of Clint Eastwood is that his movies don't have the kinds of easy answers that he comes up with in his political life. Right. Um, yeah. This is another... Like, I, I don't, you know... Well, it's... I don't know if I mentioned this before, but... Someone will explain to me the conservative subtext of a of a Clint Eastwood movie I really like, and it's kind of undeniable. But when I watch the movie, I still can't see it, even my even though the rational part of my brain should know, like the out like the end of the Outlaw Josie Wales, like the ending of the Outlaw Josie Wales, one of my favorite endings to any movie, mm-hmm. because it seems to advocate, uh, you know, um, nonviolent resistance. Is the solution to, to everything, right? But if you rephrase that scene, you say he waited until the enemy drew his, 
drew his right. weapon and then used his weapon to stab him with them. You know, if a guy comes, to, breaks into your house in the middle of the it's night, okay. you're, you know what I mean? It's like you can shoot him. So, but he's, I, and, you, know, you know, it's just interesting because he'd already started his political career at this time. I think he was mayor of, yeah. you know, Carmel by the Sea in '86. Again, though, I doubt what. Which is also amazing, the fact that he's on a day-to-day -day basis. I know. Besides, stop things happening. I guess, but like, any... shouldn't he have enough to do without leaving the town to go make movies? That's astonishing to me. Paul Russ tells a story about his film film studies lecturer uh, when they talked when they talked about discussed Unforgiven. Mm -hmm. He said, or as Clint Eastwood might call it, rehab is for quitters. <laughs> and I both love and hate that one because it's, it's absolutely completely accurate. The and then the other one is it ruins what is one of my favorite yeah. movies and, and a movie that I think of as complex. Yes. So this is always the problem. I mean, I know he's not directing here, which, you know, kind of makes this all redundant, but it like I can still I, I can still see levels and layers to what the politics of this movie is again mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but you know that's a temporary <laughs> state of being <laughs> because he is about to emerge from some smoke wielding a harpoon i mean like captain fucking a yeah <laughs> within the confines of the narrative uh for those listening if it matters Patricia Clarkson has been kidnapped. Okay. So there you have it. And out comes Harry Callahan. Uh, he doesn't have the clip gun. We're at the do we're at the docks because we're at the end of a because dirty we're at the end of a dirty. I was just gonna say, where else would the no where else reason. the fuck would we be? But I mean, there's there's really nothing that says more about the Dirty Harry series. Than that fucking harpoon gun. <laughs> How so? Just in the sense of, there's always a kind of a gimmick gun. Well, yeah, but mm, we have the hardware guest of of the week every movie. You know, you're not. We have a rocket launcher. What, yeah. You know, we have his original forty four magnum. We have the rocket launcher. Then we have, I think, is still kind of a forty four magnum, but it's a clip gun. Instead of a revolver, it's got a like a um, drinks holder yeah, on it. Exactly, <laughs> rust proofing. It's got, it's got a place to put your coins. <laughs> a DVD player. Yeah. And so, and it, but so you're doing that. You're doing the sequel thing of like upsmanship, but yep. as we've referenced several times. In this episode, I mean, this is like naked gun level satire. You know, you're absolutely right. It's hysterical. Right. I pretty much, my notes are pretty much word for word what you said, that we're technically, we're trying, we're doing what we always do, which is to up the ante on the size and the force of Harry's yeah. gun. But by picking a harpoon, <laughs> a sea weapon, <laughs> right? A, a whaling weapon, shall we say? <laughs> It's also absurd. It's absurd and laughable. Um, and again, you know, instead of jump the shark or nuke the fridge, what about Harry's harpoon? Right. He really, Harry's he, he really Harry harpooned that. that. Um, 
yeah, it's just another laugh out loud moment that makes it hard to take seriously. But but it's I don't know. Is it worse that it's within the logic of the series? I think it's kind of makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Just like in the just the fact that you know you want a good car chase in a Daddy Harry movie, and what you get is a remote controlled toy car. Yeah, right. Just like here, you you want you want this to be the best, the biggest, and the best gun. I mean, you want that that you've ever seen in the series, yeah. and it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't they didn't fail in that. No, they didn't fail. <laughs> Just be careful what you wish for, because that might be. A hard and I food. think I'm right when I say, as he raises it, we go back to slow motion, don't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, oh, well, I guess the, the other thing that's hard to take is that he then reclaims his Magnum. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea that this movie would end with him losing his Magnum. Because then, it's you know, the last one? Line. Yeah, because the last one, and he says, and, you know, they say, time's up, hero. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, that would... <laughs> that's so... And you know, I like all of the, this. By the know, way, in terms of the cop of it, the the one thing that Harry says right before he does harpoon the villain mm. is he tells him, "You're out of bullets." That's mm-hmm. the moment as a cop when you're not allowed to shoot them. <laughs> there. Yeah, but there's nothing in there about a harpoon. <laughs> Imagine someone finding it's like. What the fuck was this guy shot? Right. With? <laughs> um, so I like the you know I like the showmanship of I like everything until he actually comes out of the smoke. I love him being a silhouette in the smoke. Right. Carlos Schaffron does a really good job of putting some Morricone notes in the in the music, music yeah. at that point. He wading out the lack of bullets again. That feels like something from a spaghetti western. Sure. But he can't. But it's just—it's like if the movie, had, if we'd never seen him come out of the smoke, that would have been a better movie. It would have, if you—if you rolled credits right there, or you never saw it, you never saw what gun it was that he shot with, and then, then he gets his magnum back. He does the little gunslinger spin. Yeah, because I like that. I like that moment too. I like because. You know, this at the at this point in the series, we're on a precipice of. This probably is the last one, but mm-hmm. we want Harry to leave, as if he could do another one. I think that's the sort of feeling I right. get, because he finds the Magnum again. He does the gunslinger spin. It kind of, you know, there's a, there's a feeling that a gauntlet has been passed. I know the gauntlet is the name. I of was gonna say. Uh, <laughs> That's and then you smack dab in the middle of the Sandra Locke years. Which is um, which is a trick that they pull in uh, Crystal Skull as well. You know, he looks like he's gonna pass on the hat. Don't remind and me. Then and then Harrison Ford. I love. That's one of my favorite moments of the movie. <laughs> Harrison Ford's face as he takes that hat back. No, you're right. You're right about that. Yes. Says, fuck you. If if anybody should get a <laughs> fuck you, it's certainly Shia. You got that gif is great of Harrison Ford putting his hat back yeah. on and looking Shia LaBeouf in the eyes, giving him a shit-eating grin. And it's kind of the same here. So, uh, and it's that sort of feeling. It's like this will only ever be 
Clint Eastwood doing this. Yeah, right. But he might not do it again. Yeah. Um, and then he, you know, he has a good, another James Bond one-liner. <laughs> right. He's hanging out back there. <laughs> um, and then we get, thankfully, a reporter who comes in and asks a question that summarizes both parts of the movie <laughs> in one. Like, great. All solved. <laughs> That's all tied up in a neat little package. <laughs> and then the movie... Who are you? Where are you going? Oh, do your research. <laughs> exactly. Kent Brockman. <laughs> I, so, we've made so many Simpsons references in, in relation to just the dirty... Yeah, I know. Movies. It makes me think that maybe this was more of an inspiration for the Simpsons than... Than anything else, own, right. Mike Groening's own family, maybe. <laughs> Um, and then you know the movie ends how all these movies end <laughs> with a crane, with a crane into, shot. First of all, pulling away from not, a dock. I this is this this and a movie in the next series that we're going to do. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, both made me think the same thing. How do you turn a crane shot into a helicopter? Yeah. Shot? I don't actually know physically how you did. Like, do is there a is, is there, there a, a helicopter hovering a low, running into a helicopter, <laughs> and then what? Detaching the crane from beneath him? I, I like what, what? How do you do it? It's fantastic. So, if anyone knows, if anyone's out there in the film, you know, it, who is a cinematographer or a, a camera operator who knows how you turn a crane shot, because all these movies end with crane shots that then become helicopter shots. Yeah. Maybe it's a subliminal cut. I don't know. Doesn't look like. Yeah, that, I mean, it, looks... it reminds me of, uh, you know, the beginning of the Birdcage, when uh-huh. you're got kind of a helicopter shop going over the water, and that camera just keeps going and going all the way into the club. You're just like, wow. <laughs> I mean, these days you could see, you know, you could do that digitally, yeah. to the point where someone might not notice, but not in '88. Right. Maybe they just cut out the bit where you see a cameraman falling to his death from a helicopter. <laughs> or what or of somebody leaning down from a helicopter to a crane yeah. and just Get pulling it camera off. Camera yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, that's all I have. Me as well. Uh, Credit check, though? Yes. I, I've already mentioned that, he, that Jim Carrey is credited as james carrey um this is interesting given that buddy van horn is a stunt coordinator Mm. the stunt coordinator do you know who the stunt coordinator on this movie is? i do not richard farnsworth jr no shit um so speaking of annie wilkes speaking of misery and annie wilkes (laughs) So and you know Richard Farnsworth, the, the, for most of his career was a, was a stuntman and stunt coordinator before he went into acting. Wow. Um, and apparently passed that on to his son. Must have. Uh, who also has the same name as him. <laughs> right. And believe it or not, this is not the the last time in the in these few episodes that we will be talking about father son stuntman duos. <laughs> So stay tuned. There, there you have it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I've got a comment. Again, to say that these movies all end in, in exactly the same way is an understatement. <laughs> because what they all do what they all do from I think Magnum Force onwards Oh no, from the Enforcer onwards is that it we we it go at some point the he, the crane into helicopter yeah. shot turns into a postcard freeze right, frame. Right, freeze frame. And we just stay on that for the rest of the movie. Well, um, I think because don't I remember for sudden impact we stay on the I mean the credits are going for so long as the camera's mm-hmm. panning away as the helicopter shot is you know getting further yeah. and further away from the dock and the city and the state <laughs> space <laughs> it's just a view a view of San Francisco from space <laughs> so but what I remember was thinking for a long time, because I rewatched it and I thought, I don't think it ever goes to the postcard. And then all of a sudden it did. Yeah. And then I think it actually went to black. To black. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, there, there's your sign. But it's so, like, you know, it's so late in the credits, too. It's so funny that, I don't know, it just struck me as 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 pretty funny. Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. Um so there we go. That and yeah, that's that's all I that's all I have. <laughs> all right then. That's my credit. That's my credit check. The credit, the credit check as it is. Uh huh. This movie is like if you had to, because we both have declared this a bad movie. <laughs> so it is a bad movie. But no, don't you still kind of recommend movie. it? <laughs> oh I yeah, mean, of course I do. Oh. Hundred percent. Absolutely worth the watch, you know. Oh, it's yeah. worth a like watch. I, it, it is. It's worth it for a first half that more or less works, and a second half, <laughs> right? That is so far from working that it's kind of delicious. You've never seen something not working <laughs> as much as <Yes>. this. <laughs> so there's a lot you can get out of them. Of a, I, I wouldn't hesitate to, to put this on it's leaving hbo max very soon probably by the time we release these it'll have gone so i don't know would you pay for it (laughs) that's a good question i'd pay for the box set i don't know yeah right uh, and i wouldn't feel cheated if i got this in a box set context not at all (laughs) but 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 i have to admit if i if if I put the remote to my mouth, you know, with the little voice recognition and said the Deadpool and three ninety nine came up, I'd probably be like, I'll wait. <laughs> I yeah. can wait till it's free somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. The Dirty Harry series is in the books, sir. Next we gotta. Next we gotta pitch some pitches. Absolutely. What the hell do you do with a movie like Dirty Harry? <laughs> well, you've the, the the least that you know is that the title doesn't have to have anything to do with the movie. <laughs> All right. You're going to have to tell us what you think, ladies and gentlemen. Are you a Deadpool fan? The movie, not the character. Which, Which is, is also, also a movie. movie. <laughs> Two movies. 
and we'll be three. <laughs> right. All right. Tell us what you think of uh, the 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 Harry Callahan Deadpool. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next time, we will try to pitch another sequel to the Dirty Harry series. Say goodbye to the good people, Tom. She's right. Oh, you can set yourself into a bonfire. We'll break out the marshmallows and the weenies. But you ain't gonna be on News at 11. (laughs) That one didn't stick. Huh? That line didn't stick in the public consciousness. No, but it's a good... uh, But it's good. It's very good. However, I have pulled it from a a movie quote site where the picture... Um, the little um, icon. What do you call it? The thumbnail yeah. for. Um, first of all, the movie is here called Deadpool, and it's a picture of Deadpool, <laughs> the, the Marvel character. <laughs> and underneath another, and in a related tab on this web page, <laughs> under our favorite collection of famous movies, Unforgiven, directed by what would you say? Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Try John Houston. Oh, my God. Wow. Which is a weird mistake to make, given that Clint Eastwood just played John right. Houston in a movie. <laughs> does that mean, does this mean this website is designed by a person who doesn't understand the difference between characters and, and directors? directors? Well, <laughs> anyway, there you go. So thank you to uh, Quotes. It's just called Quotes. That that person probably lists that movie as uh, White Heart Black Hunter. Well, it's not. And it, you know what? It's just quotes. It's not even movie specific. So there are like clearly there's a section for literary quotes. So if you want to get um, definitely inaccurate literary <laughs> quotes, go to quotes. Because this, this is a website that thinks John Houston... <laughs> A man long dead. Directed Unforgiven. Directed Unforgiven. All right. There you go. On that note, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so long, everyone. Quotes. Quotes. <laughs>